Welcome into Access Health. I'm Brennan Dixon. We're going to be on Sundays at this time talking about ways that you can stay healthy, going over important topics to you, and also ways to reduce costs for health care. We're joined by the star of the show right now, Dr. Brian Force. He is the president and founder of Access Healthcare. Welcome on. Glad to have you on for our very first episode. Thanks, Brandon. Welcome to the Access Health Radio Show. I'm uh, Dr. Brian Forrest, and this week we're going to be discussing how you can access health by preventing uh, or reversing diabetes. You can be the doctor. And we'd like to make some acknowledgments of the companies that help support this wonderful program of Access Health. Yes, thanks this week to Marley Drug in Winston-Salem for supporting our show. They make uh, many common generic medications available and affordable through a national mail-order pharmacy. Often their costs are much lower than even the big box uh, pharmacies for generic medications. You can check them out at marleydrug.com. If people want more information after the show or want to find out information about your practice, where can they find it? If listeners want to send general non-emergent questions to the show or possibly have their questions answered on the show in future episodes, uh, they should find us and like the page on Facebook at Access Health. They can also send email to accesshealthradio at gmail.com with their contact information if they'd like to possibly have the questions answered on air again in future episodes. If they want information about our practice, they can go to acchealth.com. And after the show each week, they will also be able to listen to an on-demand podcast at WPTF.com. As you mentioned, our very first show is going to be focusing on diabetes. What is diabetes? Uh, Brandon, diabetes is a condition where your body either does not make enough insulin or does not respond the way it should to insulin. The type of diabetes where your body does not make insulin is called type 1 diabetes and is generally the type of diabetes people get when they are very young. Type 2 diabetes, on the other hand, is the type that most people have when they talk about having diabetes, and it develops in adulthood. With this type of diabetes, your body is still making some insulin, but the body does not lower blood sugar enough. It simply does not respond as well to the insulin you're producing. What we want to discuss today, though, is the second type. This is the common type of diabetes that our listeners generally will know about and have friends that have uh, adults with diabetes. This type of diabetes can run in families, but if you have a strong family history, you can often still prevent or reverse it if you change your lifestyle early enough. So I think the first question that's going to come to many of our listeners' minds is, how do you know if you have diabetes? There are several ways to check to see if you have diabetes or if you are on your way to developing it. Uh, currently, there are several inexpensive tests that your physician can perform that can help you know sort of where you stand. Uh, one of these is a fasting blood sugar. It can be obtained by drawing blood or through a finger stick. A normal value would be less than 100 but prediabetes, which is where you're sort of moving in the direction of diabetes, but you may not quite have it yet, uh, is a fasting blood sugar between 100 and 125. If you have a fasting sugar over 126, unfortunately, you very likely already have diabetes. A second test that can be done is where you drink a solution of glucose. It's basically sugar water. And then the physician measures your sugar at set times after that. This test is called a glucose tolerance test. And many people in our audience may be familiar with that uh, if they've had this test done during pregnancy, because that's normally how we diagnose uh, diabetes during pregnancy. Uh, but this is a very time-consuming test. It's not really pleasant to do. It's also really hard to follow diabetes over time with this. 
So the best test by far is a hemoglobin A1C. Uh, this simple and inexpensive blood test gives you the best idea of where you stand relative to diabetes. It actually measures the amount of sugar that is stuck to your red blood cells. Uh, this is really cool because what it can tell you is it can tell you what your average blood sugar not a, is only on that day, but what your average blood sugar has been for 24 hours a day over the last three months. And this is really the best way to tell if you have diabetes, prediabetes, or if you have no problem with your sugar at all. Uh, values for hemoglobin A1C up to 5.6 are considered uh, perfectly normal. Values for hemoglobin A1C of between 5.7 and 6.4 are considered prediabetes and mean that you are at risk or on your way already to getting diabetes. And if your value is over 6.4, uh, it means that you already have sort of crossed that threshold. You've already sort of crossed the line and have become a diabetic and really need to seek medical treatment at that point. So how do you find out your hemoglobin A1C? Well, first, if you have a family physician or primary care provider, they can may have already checked this at a number of visits in the past, like a physical. So you should check your old test results and see if you can find this number. Often I find that people have had this test done but really never had a conversation with their healthcare provider about what it means or the importance of it. Many times if the number is normal or in the pre-diabetic range, many times physicians may not even mention it to the patient and they may be unaware of the significance of it. As a side note, I encourage everyone to make sure that when you have any lab work done with your physician that you get your own personal copy of this to keep for your future records. In this case, you are looking for a value on your test results spelled H-E-M-O-G-L-O-B-I-N-A-1-C, or some people call it glycated hemoglobin. Uh, but if you see that test result, and sometimes it'll also be abbreviated HGBA1C, um, that's the test you're looking for to determine sort of where you stand relative to your uh, tolerance of sugar. If you do not have any prior results, then this is something that you can get at your doctor's office. And results can be available depending on the type of hemoglobin A1C they do uh, within five minutes to 24 hours after you give the blood sample. Depending on which version of the test they do, regardless of whether or not you have insurance, this is a very affordable test and should be under $40. For example, at our office, we do not even charge for this test for members of our practice. I would recommend that people get this test at least once per year. And if it's in the pre-diabetes range or higher than 5.6, they should check it at least twice per year. And if it is in the diabetic range, which is above 6.4, they really could, should have it checked as often as every three months to see how they're doing. Once again, you're listening to Access Health here on News Radio 680 WPTF. When we return, we'll be discussing how you can use your hemoglobin A1C number to help you prevent or reverse diabetes, even without a doctor or any medication. Welcome back to Access Health here on News Radio 680 WPTF. I'm Brandon Dixon alongside Dr. Brian Forrest, and it's now time for the Access Health Tip of the Week. Thanks, Brandon. So the tip of the week this week is we've been talking about hemoglobin A1C. And one of the really cool things you can do with a hemoglobin A1C, if you want to know your average blood sugar over 24 hours a day for the last three months, all you have to do is take that number that's on your lab work, the hemoglobin A1C, multiply it by 20, and that'll give you your average blood sugar for the last three months. If your hemoglobin A1C is over seven, then you want to multiply by a little bit higher number, multiply times 25 if it's over seven. And again, that'll give you your approximate blood sugar for the last three months, which is really helpful for people to know. 
How you can be the doctor, that was part of the show's title today. Once you have a hemoglobin A1C, what do you do with that number? Well, you know, diabetes is one of the diseases that you can actually do a lot to cure without a physician or medication. In this way, you can actually be the doctor and do as much good to improve your blood sugar as any other treatment out there. This doesn't mean that at some point you might not need medication, but many people can control or reverse diabetes through things they can do themselves. If you have diabetes, it's very important that you get your hemoglobin A1C to 7 or less to be considered under control. We know that at hemoglobin A1Cs above 7, you can actually increase your risk for dialysis, uh, you know, losing limbs to amputations, dialysis, and things like that. But if you keep it under 7, you don't have to be concerned about that. If, however, you're in the pre-diabetes range and trying to prevent diabetes, you want to try to get your number down under 5.7 because 5.7 is the cutoff for pre-diabetes. And the closer you can get it to 5, the better it is. Um, so if I was going to give you a checklist to, of ways that you could actually prevent diabetes or even reverse it, what would that look like? Well, first, it's important to have what I would call a carbohydrate budget. The way to think about it is that in insulin, your body produces, think of it as the money that you have to pay to keep your blood sugar down. The more carbohydrates and sugar you eat, the more insulin your body has to spend. And although this is medically not exactly what's happening in the body, it's a good way for us to think about it to really understand how to control it. So if you spend all of your insulin, then you won't have any left to be able to keep your blood sugar down. That's why I call it a carbohydrate budget. What I recommend in general uh, for people that are otherwise healthy is that they eat no more than 150 grams of carbohydrates per day. For those that have prediabetes, I normally tell my patients to keep their carbohydrate budget at under 100 grams per day. And if you are a patient who has diabetes or if you're really having a lot of trouble controlling your blood sugar, then you really want to try to limit your carbohydrates, which include sugar grams, to less than 25 grams per meal. Now, I think people with diabetes and those that maybe are just trying to diet and figure these things out, uh, got to wonder how many carbs are in what we eat and what is the difference between sugar and carbs? Yes, I think that's a very important point. I think the good news is that finding out this information these days is really a lot easier than it's ever been. The carbs and sugar that are contained in food are available online. It's uh, available on free apps for your iPhone or your Droid. It's also available on most food labels. In addition, a lot of restaurants these days will really provide this information either on their menu or they will definitely provide it if you ask. So you can, you can definitely find out what those numbers are. There's a couple things you need to consider, though. First of all, not all carbohydrates are bad. Carbohydrates that take a long time for your body to turn into sugar do not create as much of a burden on your insulin budget and allow time for you to burn off the carbs through activity and exercise. A lot of people will call these complex carbohydrates. I'm sure you've heard that term before, but let's take broccoli as an example. It contains no protein, it contains no fat, and essentially is made up of water, fiber, and, and carbs. But your body takes a long time to break those carbs from broccoli down into sugar, really over a matter of hours rather than minutes. And this allows your body to lower your blood sugar without a huge insulin surge. We call this the glycemic index. Some foods raise your blood sugar much faster than others. And this makes a whole lot of sense. You know, if you can eat cotton candy, for example, your body turns it into glucose in your bloodstream almost instantly. 
However, if you eat an apple, it might actually have the exact same number of carbs as a small bag of cotton candy, but your body will absorb it much more slowly. So don't be fooled, though, into thinking that all fruits and vegetables are okay. Just because it's natural doesn't necessarily mean it's all right. So think about fruits that are really sweet, like sugar, like, like that have a lot of sugar, like watermelon, grapes, oranges, plums, and a lot of other sweet fruits. If they're really, really sweet and they're natural, I promise you it's not NutraSweet or Splenda in them. It's actually <laughs> sugar. And so they can contribute to raising your blood sugar if you're pre-diabetic or diabetic. Uh, we will actually provide a link to a glycemic index on the webpage for the show, and that'll allow the listeners to be able to use that as a reference for, for foods they might be considering. Now, here's one I've heard from people. What about the difference between carbs, high fructose, corn syrup, and sugar? Yeah, that's a really confusing point a lot of times. In general, foods that are processed and include sugar often incorporate high fructose corn syrup or pure refined sugar. Sometimes they even try to fool you because on the label it'll say something like evaporated cane juice. Well, if you evaporate cane juice, you get pure cane sugar. Uh, so you have to really be careful in reading those labels. But both of these can cause you to expend your insulin budget quickly, and you want to avoid high fructose corn syrup and refined sugar as much as possible. Um, labels will often list total carbs, fiber, and sugars, but this can be very confusing when you're trying to figure out the net carbs, which is actually what we care about. So the sugars are included in the total carbohydrate count. And when you're calculating net carbs, which are the ones that will affect your insulin, you can subtract the fiber number from the total carbs to get net carbs. And that's really the one we're talking about when we give you a carbohydrate budget for the day. If you were trying to keep your total carbs and sugar under 20 grams per meal, then this is the number you really want to try to go by is net carbs. So if someone has diabetes, what are some of the common medications? Well, there are several medications that uh, we use very often. So again, if you, if you do lifestyle modifications, diet and exercise, uh, and you're still not able to control your diabetes or get your hemoglobin A1C under 7, uh, there are several that we use. Uh, one of them that's commonly used is called metformin. Uh, this is a very inexpensive, effective medication. It's been proven to decrease hemoglobin A1C by two points. The main side effects can be sort of some stomach upset, but that's not all that common. Most people can actually tolerate that. But sometimes if people do have that, physicians will just convert it to an extended release version, and that avoids those, those GI problems. Uh, metformin also has the benefit not only of being inexpensive, but it helps promote weight loss, which is very helpful when you're dealing with type 2 diabetes. There are other oral medications before you get to insulin, things like sulfonylureas, GLP-1s, DPP-4s, and a class called SGLT-2s. We rarely use the sulfonylureas anymore like glimepiride or glipizide due to a much higher risk of dangerous side effects like hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar. The rest of these medications are much more expensive than metformin, though, and though they are effective, they only lower hemoglobin A1c about one extra point each. The DPP-4 medications are the best tolerated and usually have the least side effects, but they're neutral for weight. The SGLT2 inhibitors, they actually help with weight loss, but due to making you have a lot of sugar in your urine, they can predispose you to be more likely to have yeast infections. The GLP-1 medications are actually not oral. They're injectable medications that you can do daily or weekly. They are really good for helping promote weight loss, but they are incredibly expensive uh, but necessary for some patients. And even in insulin non-dependent diabetes, type 2 diabetes, uh, some people still have to go to insulin, but the goal should be for all patients to be on the least amount of medication possible 
You're listening to Access Health here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Make sure to stay with us because we're going to be going over things you can do to help prevent or reverse diabetes in moments and also have Access Health Radio's Trivia of the Week. Welcome back to Access Health. Time for the Trivia of the Week, Dr. Forrest. Many of you may not know where the name diabetes comes from, but it's actually short for diabetes mellitus, and that actually translates to sweet urine in Latin. So really, doctors a long time ago used to taste the urine of their patients and could identify sugar in the urine of patients with diabetes. I sure am glad that we have a more modern testing techniques now. <laughs> so what else can you do to help prevent or reverse diabetes? So, Brandon, there's a lot of things you can do, but first of all, you really need to move. Uh, when you exercise, you burn carbs, and it helps get rid of sugar without having to use as much insulin. Sometimes I actually encourage my patients that if they do eat a high-carb meal, that they actually try to exercise within the next hour or so, and this helps minimize the amount the meal's going to raise their blood sugar. Another thing that's helpful is actually doing some resistance training that helps build muscle. This increases the amount of sugar and carbohydrate that your body can actually burn and raises your metabolism for several hours after the exercise. Typically, I'm going to recommend to my patients at least 150 minutes a week of aerobic exercise, and we consider that to be uh, exercise that makes you enough out of breath that it would be difficult for you to carry on a normal conversation with somebody else. Besides exercise, the best thing you can do to help prevent or reverse diabetes is to lose weight. Even small changes like a pound of weight loss per month have been shown to be able to prevent diabetes. So what are the key takeaways from today's show on diabetes? Well, I think, first of all, you need to make sure you know what your hemoglobin A1C is so that you really know where you stand as it relates to diabetes. Second, you really need to keep your carbs and your sugar intake restricted to a carb budget. I usually say the carb budget should be between 60 and 150 grams of carbs maximum for most people. Third, it's really important that you move. You know, park farther away from the store when you go. Schedule at least 150 minutes per week of that aerobic activity. Include some resistance training in that and help build and tone muscle. And lastly, probably the biggest bang for your buck in terms of helping prevent type 2 diabetes is weight loss to the point where your waist size is less than half of your height in inches at a rate of at least one pound per month. That's been shown in studies to be able to actually prevent diabetes from occurring, even in people who are genetic genetically prone to it. And give us an idea of what we'll be talking about on our next show of Excess Health. So how can patients be the doctor? All of what we've talked about today relies on people being their own doctor and doing things that may prevent them from actually needing medication. Although I'm a doctor of medicine, I frequently will tell my patients that if possible, I prefer they not have to take any medicine at all. Our bodies have a great capacity to heal themselves, and they are created that way. As the Bible says in Psalms 139, 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thanks again for listening to the Access Health Show, and we look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 4 p.m. Until then, God bless your health. That's it for Access Health this week. Make sure to join us next Sunday at 4 p.m. as we'll be discussing hypertension.